Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Chingona Podcast. I'm Leah. Last season, we did an episode dedicated to women in Texas history because that is where I am from, along with the former members of the Chingona Podcast. This season, I thought it would be fun to talk about some notable women in Colorado history since I'm now based in Denver. So, we are gathered here today to discuss four of my favorite women in Colorado history. <laughs> uh, I'm Leah. I'm Karen. And this is the Chinguana Podcast. It's true. <laughs> so, the first woman is Lucille Lou Colasito. Do you know her? No. So she. I, I don't sorry. know any of these people. <laughs> just, just so everyone knows. I did no research. I just showed up here. And I'm just going to sit and listen. It's and okay. I'm not inebriated. I'm just like a little tired. <laughs> so Lucille was a second generation Italian American. Her dad is from Italy, came to the States, found a Colorado woman, got married, had four babies, and one of them was Lucille. And the reason she's important is because she was the first Denver woman to play on a major league baseball team. What? And so she was part of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League which if you've seen The League of Their Own... I was going to say, wait, there's a movie about women <laughs> baseballers in a league. Have you seen The League of Their Own? I've seen parts of it when it's on TBS. Okay, so first of all, you need to see the whole movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the famous person in it? They're Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie Madonna. O'Donnell. Oh, that's where I know it from, because um, I watch a YouTube critic who has gone through all of Madonna's film roles. <laughs> Not I was like the best. There's there's a bad actress in it. Who is but <laughs> but so and Lucille Colasito, her like character doesn't make an appearance in okay. A League of Their Own. But I'm glad she's not Madonna. If you have, <laughs> but this that gives you just like a reference point for the league and the team that she played on. So Lucille and her, she get, had the nickname Lou. <clears throat> she started playing. Like basically intramural softball after high school. Her high school didn't have a softball team, so she didn't have a whole lot of experience, but she's clearly good enough to play professionally. Wait, you know a lot about baseball, and I know pretty much nothing. So, this is something I've always wondered. If you're a woman, do you have to play softball? Or can you be. You can be a guy that plays softball, because men play softball. Right, not in, like, high school sports or, like, little league sports. Uh, There's, like, intramural, like, adults who still want to stay active. (laughs) Adults who sport? (laughs) Adults who sport, (laughs) who are no longer in school. They can, they play softball, both, all genders. Okay. Um, But as far as, like, I think there has been stories of, like, girls in high school that play on baseball teams versus softball teams. Right. I think it depends on the district. Okay. I'm and, not entirely sure. And so now, now when she's in school, what time period? Because I have to pick, picture what school oh, okay. everyone's in. Uh, 1930s. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So the... So there was no sort of like... No. Progressive. <laughs> No. So the reason, a little bit history, the reason why the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and I have an issue with it being called girls instead of women. (laughs) 
but that's a side note. The reason that league was created because World War II was happening and the men were drafted to fight. And so I think it was like the Cubs owner decided, let's keep baseball going and just have the women play. And so they had, there was still like, I guess, local softball leagues going on. And they sent scouts out to these areas and the scouts would select a certain number of women the women would try out and then they were then selected or not selected to go into like i think it was nine and eventually 15 teams i could be wrong without those numbers um so anyways her husband gets drafted to go play play in the war fight in the war right she gets drafted drafted to go play baseball and she was drafted to the kenosha comets and one of my favorite facts is that she's 5'3". Yes! And as short women, yeah. I'm so glad that short women, short women athletes are getting recognition yes. that they deserve. <laughs> Abigail Adams is 5'1". Kamala Harris is apparently 5'2". Yes. Wow. Short women. We're going to take and over Lou one day. Five three. <laughs> yeah. It's true because like we have to climb on everything. So like... <laughs> I don't know why that relates. <laughs> and she, so Lou was also, she played the catcher for her team. The Kenosha sure Comets. people usually play the catcher? I was a catcher, so. Yeah, I guess two data points. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like a huge pool of people to survey, but, you know, I was a catcher. I, I don't just imagine if you had a tall catcher, like it'd be hard to get down there all the time question like i, I don't know, obviously sure don't people know. are like lower to the ground so when you squat i don't know i feel like it's just <laughs> comes more natural <laughs> um and so her pay while in the league was 55 dollars a week plus 650 six dollars 50 meal money a day while the team was on the road which is a lot of money because here's my reference point when we were in high school and we had to go play away games we only got to have a budget of six dollars per person mm-hmm. and i remember being really happy when we because when you go to playoffs you get an extra dollar mm-hmm. and one of my teammates was like i can get the baconator at wendy's now because <laughs> it's more expensive but that was like back in 2009 to 2011 this was in the 19. 19- 40s and 650s is a lot like I feel like that's a lot but then I like I saw another article that said the average income for a man back then was $48 a week so she as a professional baseball player female baseball player was making more than the average she's ball man nationally yeah nice go Lou um she played for two years uh professionally I think I should fact check that And after leaving softball, she continued to be active. She taught bowling to differently abled children. She played, she came back to Denver, first of all. Um, And then she came, she played golf and like won a lot of local awards. I got into golf, so I can't tell you anything about that. I'm into it as much as I hate it. So Lou was also elected into the Denver Softball Hall of Fame, which I didn't know existed. Oh. But I want to go visit. Yeah, we should visit. Yes. Additionally, she's in the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in New York, which we should also go back to visit (laughs) (laughs) whenever we make our way back to New York. And in 1998, at 76 years old, Lucille Lou Colosito died. She's buried here somewhere in Denver. 
Um, and then I found out that only one other Colorado woman was drafted to play in the uh, Women's Baseball League, and her name was Mona Denton. She was a pitcher for the South Bend Blue Sox and the Kenosha Comets, but I don't think, even though they played on the same team, I think I don't think they played together. I think they were like a year apart. Um, <clears throat> and Mona Denton died in 1995 on September 2nd, which is my birthday, and that makes me sad. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, both had long lives. Um, so that is the story of Lucille Lou Colasito. I have another question. Go. So, <laughs> I mean, when the war ended and the guys came back, was it like the factories and stuff? They were just like, get out of here, women, we got this. And But it sort of, like, led to more women in the industry of baseball? I don't know. I, women as we know now, did not continue to play professional baseball because that's not a thing right Mm now. Um, So I don't know if they were like, okay, men are coming back, women, you have to go back to your old jobs. Right. Which I feel like that's what they would do. And I don't know that they were officially recognized for what they did until many years later when they were inducted, when those, like, women were inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Hmm. So I don't know all the history on that. <clears throat> That's so interesting. Yeah. And women right now can't play in the MLB. No. So See, that's bullshit. As far as I know, you can play for the USA softball team, but softball was actually removed from the Olympics in 2015, like a few years ago. They removed softball from the Olympics and I want and baseball. And um it was because other countries weren't as advanced in the sport as I think America, probably some Latin American countries. When, and when has that Japan. stopped us before? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't don't quote me on that, but I want to say when it came out, I was furious because I loved watching softball in the Olympics. So they didn't play in this last Olympics, which was twenty sixteen. I yeah. think that was the first one. They were in the one before that. That's, mm. yeah, I don't know when they're bringing that back. Let women play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us apparently are really good at it. Moral of the story. Even the short ones, especially the short ones. Yeah. So the next woman on the list is probably the most famous one that I have today. Um, and it's Dr. Justina Ford. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so Justina Ford was the first black female doctor in Denver. Oh. And she was known as the lady doctor, quote, unquote. She was born in 1871 in Illinois, and she was the daughter of two slaves. Her parents were Melissa and Pryor Warren. Her mom was a midwife, so we assume that, like, that's how she got her interest in medicine. Yeah. Um, So her parents... They met and married in 1869, and then it was after they were freed from slavery. And then two years later, they had their daughter that would go down as one of the greatest women in history, which is like, yeah. Um, So Justina went to med school in Chicago, and she graduated in 1899, but after she graduated, they wouldn't give her her medical license. Bastards. Right, and so I have a quote from the license examiner here that I found, and it says, 
He said, I feel dishonest taking a fee from you. You've got two strikes against you to begin with. First of all, you're a lady, and second, you're colored. And we hate him. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> and then also, as a side note, just for people who don't know this already, we don't say colored anymore. We say people of color. I was on Instagram the other day, and someone was like, defending people of color, but they said colored. Yeah. And someone really quickly was like, oh, no, honey, you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't say that. It's people of color, and there is a difference. And it is important yeah. to know that. Sorry, there's, st- like, people want the NAACP to change their name, because it's like... Yeah. yeah. So, after she didn't get her medical license in Illinois, she moved to Colorado. She followed her husband here. Her husband was, like, a pastor or something like that, and he came to work in a church here. She followed him, and she was also discriminated against here. Oh. Are we shocked? I got excited, because I know a thing... But, oh. like, a lot of people in, that settled Colorado settled. I mean, there were already Native Americans here, obviously. But mm-hmm. they came from Chicago area, Illinois, Ooh. specifically up in my up in my neck of the woods in Longmont. Like, they were the Colorado-Chicago colony before oh, they were I Longmont. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, in a bunch of streets in Longmont are named for just, like, rich Chicagoans who they were like, do you want to invest in this town (laughs) and they were like sure here's some money but they like never visited oh okay yeah i mean fair enough why not i mean at the time like there was a lot of tuberculosis and chicago was crowded and dirty and people thought that like sitting outside in elevated air cured tuberculosis which they called consumption yeah and it like doesn't really it just slightly helps but whatever yeah. That's that's what I know. We live and learn. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so when Justina moves to Colorado, she's prohibited from joining the Colorado Medical Association and prohibited from practicing in a hospital. So she's like, okay, fine. I will do this on my own. So she opens up her own practice inside her house, which is located in Five Points. Oh, we've learned about five points. We've learned about five points, and listeners, if you go back and listen to our episode, Jesus Your Things, with Gabby, we re-interview Gabby Bryant, and she talks a little bit about the five points community, it's historically a black community, it's a low-income community, and a lot of people right now who are barely coming into Colorado, or Denver specifically, would know it. It's being rebranded as Rhino. It's being a, it's a gentrified area right now. <clears throat> So go back and listen to that episode for some extra cool information on Five Points. So Justina, while practicing out of her home, she specialized in pediatrics, obstetrics, and gynecology. She treated anyone and everyone, and she's most known for treating poor white people, black people, and non-English speakers that were turned away from hospitals. And then also, because to better communicate with her patients, she became multilingual, which mm-hmm. is great, because yeah. that's what you want to do. So then, for almost 50 years, Justina practiced her medicine out of her home. And it wasn't until 1950 that she was allowed in the Colorado and American Medical Associations. And even then, she was still the only female black doctor in Denver And it wasn't until that point that she actually began working in a hospital. It's just some bullshit. I'm surprised that she was never arrested for, like, practicing without a license or some other, like, bureaucratic... 
thing. Yeah, well, so I guess if she would have been, I don't know how it worked back then, but now if you're like a licensed medical professional, it's only in whatever state you get your license oh. in. Oh, I didn't know that. So, like if you were, like if I was a doctor in Texas and decided to move to Colorado, I would have to retake the exam oh. here. I don't think you have to redo like the schooling. I think it's just the exam. I don't know how that works. Hmm. Um, if you're a doctor, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Tweet at us. <laughs> um, so Justina died in 1952 at 81 oh. and cared for her patients until two weeks before her death, which means she only practiced in hospital for two years. Wow. Which, um, and her house in Five Points where she practiced her medicine is now the Black American West Museum. And that is the story of Dr. Justina Ford. Wow. And in the movie for Justina Ford's life, I don't know if there has been one, I imagine um, Janelle Monae playing her. Ooh. Yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. So this next woman is, this next story is about Clara, Clara? Brown. So Clara Brown, and also I picture Octavia Spencer. I was gonna say Octavia Spencer <laughs> for the last one. That's what I, I. When this episode appears on Drunk History, I imagine Octavia Spencer playing Clara Brown. So Clara was one of the first Black women to settle in Colorado and be a successful businesswoman. Wow. And so she was born into slavery in Virginia in around 1800. She married around 18 years old and then eventually gave birth to four children. But her children and her husband were sold to different people across the country. So she would spend the rest of her life trying to get her family back together, which is an important detail to remember. Mm. So when Clara's owner died in 1856... We should put her at about 56 years old. Yeah. Just realizing it. Just a long ass time. Yeah. Um, the rest of her, and also, like, I feel like the life expectancy wasn't very high. Yeah. Back then. (laughs) So she made it to 56 and beyond, as we'll learn here in a bit. So her owner died in 1856, but the rest of his family helped Claire gain her freedom. After 56 fucking (laughs) years, I should hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So she, Clara had heard that one of her daughters was going to move west, so she was like, gotta move west. Right. And um, even though she had the money to travel, stagecoaches didn't permit black people to buy tickets at the time, so she ran across this group of prospectors and persuaded them to take, take them with her, take her with them. Right. And she was like, I can cook for you. And they were like, hired. So um, eventually she got to Central City, which was a major gold mining town. And Central City right now, I guess even back then, it's like this little town between, like just like within the mountains. I think I've been there. Yeah, it's up where Blackhawk is. It's like adjacent to Blackhawk. Oh, okay. Um, And for those of you that don't know, Blackhawk slash Central City... It's like a mini Las Vegas in the mountains. It's like on a reservation, so there's a lot of casinos, and it's like a historic district. And uh, so Clara was one of the first, by that point, she was one of the first African-American women to reach the gold mining towns in Colorado. And she had two goals, which was to make enough money to live independently, 
and to find her family. So she opened a laundry service for the miners in Central City, and she cooked and cleaned and catered special events. Can you just imagine that laundry? <laughs> oh, I know. And they didn't have, like, There's no deodorant. Oxy-clean. Like, there's no... There's... <laughs> Like, these are not men who bathe. I know. And you would do laundry, like, once every three weeks. And bathe just about the same time. Just, like, these (laughs) gross bearded men are handing her these, like, sopping wet, Right, after they've been panning for gold for a week. God. (laughs) So disgusting. (laughs) Not all heroes wear capes. It's true. (laughs) So... By the end of the Civil War in 1865, most black people were barely gaining their freedom, so they were kind of figuring out what to do. But by that point, Clara was already a pro. She saved $10,000. Damn. Right? Which is a lot of money to me now. I, would, I can't save $10,000. <laughs> and it's like, how much was $10,000 back then? Or but now, also, like a million? It's and also, be. like, there's bank robberies, and they're like, you can't keep your money, and then like, you can't keep it in the bank. Like, gee, right. she must have like, <laughs> not only to make it, but then to like protect it is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how she got the ten thousand dollars, which was with her laundry service and cooking and cleaning and doing all that, so she invested in mining claims and real estate. And I learned, do you know what a mining claim is? I have an idea, but why don't you tell me? Okay, because I didn't know what it was, so I had to Google it. So a mining claims is land where the claimant, i.e. Clara, has the right to develop and pan for gold, essentially. Makes sense. And throughout the town, which I don't know how that's different than, like, if you just buy property. Okay, well, so, like, because you can buy land, and then you can also buy mineral rights and, like, water Ooh, rights. Okay. So, at least in Colorado, like, just because you buy the land doesn't mean you own, like, what's under it and the water that goes uh, through it or falls on it. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I'm not a homeowner. <laughs> Care <it> is. <laughs> oh, I know that from reporting about oil and oh, gas. Okay. Well, time. it's good to know also as a homeowner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the town had nicknamed her Aunt Clara, and she would care and tend to sick and injured minors that would turn to her for help. Um, She boarded the homeless people, and pregnant women came to her to have her deliver their babies, just because I don't think she had any professional experience in it, like Justina Ford, but I think it was like, this woman does everything else and is like the mother of the community. Yeah, deliver I mean, my babies. I feel like once you've delivered one, you're kind of that person. <laughs> Probably, because everyone else is panning for gold. <laughs> and <clears throat> she treated all these people and helped them for free. Um, she was also a Presbyterian, um, but didn't discriminate against other faiths. So she gave her time and money to four different churches, and she helped start the first Sunday school program in town and used her home as the classroom. So eventually started searching for her family again and she traveled to I think it's Kansas, maybe it was Kentucky we'll just say the south Um, Kansas is technically just east of here yeah 
But she traveled to Kentucky. A K state. I don't have it in my notes. (laughs) She traveled to the South, to two states in the South, (laughs) to try to find her family. But um, she, her husband and daughters were nowhere to be found, sadly. However, she did find other relatives and move and paid to move them to Colorado. And so for years, she helped black people move to Colorado and find them homes and find jobs just kind of gave back to the community like that. I really, this is really making me want a historical Queer Eye, like, Ooh. series, where, like, have you seen the new season? I haven't, but I really want to. Okay, well, all I, need I, to. It's all on my I list. say is that, like, they help this this girl who was, like, adopted, um, and then they take her to, like, a genealogy, like, Ooh. place, and they're like, this is what your grant, like, this... And they're black, and so they were like this. They were owned by these people, and then like they were freed, and then they did this, and then her sisters there, and it's just like you cry. <laughs> and so, I just imagine that like the queer eye people being like, um, Clara, you've helped so oh, many so people. They go back in time. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know how this was going to turn now out. Now it's time to help you, and like, <laughs> oh my god, that needs to be a thing. Wouldn't that be great? Business idea. <laughs> So then, in 1864, <clears throat> disaster strikes. No, I know. A flood destroyed the town, and Clara lost papers that proved she owned property. Ugh. And then about 10 years after the flood, there was this massive fire that Jesus. broke out, and several people lost their homes, including Clara. After all that, she had nothing to show for the work that she did, but the community came to her rescue and helped her get back on her feet. And in 1987, Clara acted as an official representative for the Colorado Governor Pitkin. Wait, 1987? 1879. You said 1987, I promise. I immediately pictured like 80s back to the future she was 187 years old she looked great 1879 so she's 79 that makes a lot more sense yeah give or take anyways she acted as an official representative for colorado governor pitkin so there were like mining Excuse me. There were like mining shortages for some reason and a lot of labor shortages or a lot of jobs were available. And by that point, slavery had just been abolished. So you had all these like newly freed slaves that were trying to get jobs. And for some reason, the slaves migrated over to Kansas. And so the governor Pitkin sent Clara to Kansas to try to persuade all those slaves to come to Colorado and like fill these jobs and so she was like look at me look at everything I've done for myself in Colorado you can do it too and they were like dope let's go not to shit on Kansas but a little bit to shit on Kansas like (laughs) I've never been we've got way better scenery (laughs) sold it's just it's just grass (laughs) they have corn it's just grass and corn. Yeah. There's a Wizard of Oz museum. Oh, I would love to see that, actually. I but mean, I wouldn't, like, fly to Kansas for it, but if it was, like, mid-road trip. But it's just, like, at a truck stop. Like, Oh, okay. So not an official museum. <laughs> I mean, it, it... I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> okay. We'll come back to that It later. had a gift shop. 
<laughs> so Clara goes to Kansas, persuades the newly freed slaves to come to come to Colorado, and once they've moved, she continued to donate her own money to support <clears throat> these black communities. Nice. I know she's just like got money to blow, and not blow, but like yeah, help people. Yeah. She's just making it rain on all these communities. So then, some good news in nineteen eighteen eighty two. She got wind of a woman in Iowa that seemed like she could be her daughter. It was like she was sold around the same time, looked to be about the same age. Seems like it could be her daughter. So her friends, Claire's friends, once again, help her get to Iowa where she meets the woman and finds out it was her daughter, Eliza. Yay! I know! Happy endings. Reunited. Um, and it was the only child of hers that she ever found. I believe she had four initially. Oh. But, I mean, you know. Yeah. One. Um, so Eliza, after that, moved to Colorado with her mom. And just three years after reuniting, Clara died in her sleep. Oh. And uh, hordes of people attended the funeral. Even the Denver mayor and the Colorado governor... Wow. And, <clears throat> I know, um, the Colorado Pioneer Association made Clara Brown their first black member, and they funded the entire funeral. Wow. And so today, just like around Denver and Central City and I guess other surrounding communities, there's like a number of statues and plaques and things like that oh. commemorating Clara. And that is the story of Clara Brown. Wow. So, this... Next story, our last one for the day, is about a woman named Maddie Silks. So Maddie Silks, Ooh. I know, what a great name, um, was a sex worker, a madam, and a brothel owner. Oh, this is the one that you told me about. I was like, that name sounds like a really high-end <laughs> sex worker. <laughs> and Maddie's life, it, she lived between 1864 in 1929 wow. and so her and Justina and Clara's lives kind of overlapped and it's really strange because Maddie lives a very different life than the other two also she was a white woman so life was just a little bit easier so Maddie Silks um she's not from Denver I forgot where she's from she bounced around the states for a bit and ended up in Denver and at the age of 19, she became a madam at a brothel, which is like, Man. I, I wasn't owning any businesses at 19 yeah. years old. Especially like a business like a, like you've got to fucking navigate all yeah. these, you know, sex and shame and violence right. and money. So she became known as one of the best known madams in the West having multiple bordellos in Colorado towns. And also what... What made her stand out is that she, um, she provided like wages to her sex workers and nice. like healthcare. Um, and because of the gold rush, demand was really high for these types of businesses, bordellos, brothels. Mm -hmm. So Denver's Market Street, which is yeah by Union Station. Yeah, so that's was the old red lights district. Uh at this time hmm. and uh, that's where Maddie's businesses were one of them at least and um, 
So eventually she met and married this guy named Cortez Thompson. And he was... His names are backwards. I know. It's annoying. <laughs> he was a gambler and a gorilla. From what I understand, this is the one that I researched very, very loosely. Um, from what I understand, Cortez was such a fuckboy. And, like, ran Maddie's money into the ground and was just, like, drinking and, like, mm-hmm. always screwing around. Um... And their relationship, probably tumultuous at best. So, Maddie finds out that Cortez is sleeping with this other woman named Kate Fulton. And And she's like, I'm sorry, my name is Maddie Silk. (laughs) And you, Cortez Thompson, you're going to go off with Kate Fulton? Like, this is such bullshit. (laughs) I have the better name. <laughs> Don't you want to be Cortez Silks? <laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> and then also, it's important to note that Cortez was married with a kid when he met Maddie, so it's like, I mean, it's not like he had the best track record. His his ex-wife did die, and that's when he married Maddie, but like, still. Yeah, well, you know, it was we, we know who he is. We know this guy. Yeah. We, we've all dated a Cortez Thompson Ugh. at one point or another. <laughs> so, the story goes that Maddie was fed up with Kate sleeping around with her husband. And so on August 25th, 1877, Maddie challenged Kate to a duel oh, in the streets. Badass. And is so, eighteen. So this is gun time. This isn't sword time. Yeah, this is gun time. Okay. I don't know when the gun was invented. Hmm. They're like those revolvers, so they're not like automatic rifles or anything. Right, right, right. But you know, they didn't have what like fun a, is a duel like an Uzi, <laughs> <laughs> right? Not quite yet. Uh, machine gun Kelly things or whatever. Um, not machine gun Kelly. What are those called? Tommy Guns. Yeah. <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly's a rapper. Is he? I don't know. I thought you were talking about the Disney Channel original movie with Hilary Duff. Oh. <laughs> well, so... Cadet Kelly. Cadet Kelly, yes. Machine Gun Kelly was like a mob boss in uh, the 1920s, and now a white man that I think is a rapper. Okay. Ugh. Tommy Gun is the word that 20, I was thinking of. 2019 is <laughs> really confusing. Kelly. Great. I forgot about Cadet Kelly. So, challenged her to a duel in the streets. So Kate, not wanting to look ugly for her duel, she didn't wear her glasses. No. But Maddie did, because she wasn't fucking around. Yeah. And so, they're like, in the streets, they're facing each other, they do their paces apart, and they're like, waiting, and then they both draw. And Kate shoots first, and she misses Maddie, and then Maddie draws, and she misses Kate. But Maddie's bullet hits Cortez. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. It's really like some King Solomon shit. (laughs) And that is known as the first recorded duel between two women. Wow. I don't know if it's like in all of history or just like Colorado history. I'm fine with him dying. (laughs) He's he's the one they should have been mad at in the first place. Right. So... That story is just legend, unfortunately. Do you want to hear the real story? Yeah. Okay. It's not as exciting, but 
Cortez still gets shot. Spoiler alert. Great. So the real story is that Maddie and Kate were drinking at a bar and they started arguing really loudly. And so in an effort to, I guess, fight Maddie's battles, Cortez punches Kate in the face. We all do know this guy. (laughs) Yeah. So that guy. Everyone has dated him. (laughs) So he punches Kate in the face and then some like other guy comes in and tries to attack Cortez for doing that to Kate. The other guy ends up getting punched in the face too. And so Cortez's friends see all this happening. They rush to join the brawl to try to beat up. I think the other guy's name was Sam. I don't know about that. Beat up the other guy. And well, Kate, trying to keep them both apart, gets kicked in the face, gets her nose broken. It's a real bad day for faces. I know. (laughs) And so it's like this all-out brawl, whatever, bar fight. And um, it's eventually dispersed and whatever. People are injured. Um, So later that night, when Cortez is like walking to his wagon somebody comes up somewhere and shoots him and it like grazes the back of his neck he lives damn um and so like the next day maddie files a complaint to the district attorney against kate and kate leaves like takes the next train to kansas never heard from again as far as i know um those are the right circumstances to go to kansas (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was also Semi-important to note that Kate was a competing madam. Oh. So I think that was also, like, another reason for, like, the intense hostility that it was. was not that it was just the other woman. She was a competing businesswoman. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and so how this all came to be recorded as the first duel in history between two women is that there was a reporter named Forbes Park Hill. Oh, my God names i know it's like they named their kids so that places would be named after them (laughs) like it's all sort of backwards a little bit yeah (laughs) um so this reporter got wind of the incident and kind of embellished the story it went to press and Mm -hmm. other newspapers or outlets or whatever picked it up and that's how, I mean, it technically is recorded as the first duel in history, even though it didn't really happen. It was more of, like, just a big bar fight. Yeah. Um, and so then, like, somehow the story escalated that, like, at one point the women lost their tops and it was, like, the first nude duel. <laughs> it's just, like, a man thing yeah. to do. <laughs> such a typical I'm man I'm so story. sure. <laughs> um, and so even after... <clears throat> the big old brawl or duel or what have you, Maddie remained a successful businesswoman. And uh, she eventually bought what is now known as Maddie's House of Mirrors, which is still a bar downtown. It's like a bar restaurant, banquet hall or something like that. Hmm. Um, Which I'd like to go to because, I mean, the House of Mirrors just sounds cool. It does. So that is the story of Maddie Silks. And those are the women that I have chosen for this episode of Badass Women in Colorado History. I like them. I think they'd all get along. I do too. I feel like the doctor could, and Maddie, could like team up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's three businesswomen on here. Yeah. That's awesome. I enjoyed it very much. Yay! <laughs> Thank you.
I learned a lot. I was disappointed to find out, like, as I was researching, there wasn't a lot of, like, Latinas mm-hmm. in Colorado history. There were a few from, like, the earliest I found. It was, like, the 19, like, 1939. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of information on them, so I didn't pick them for that reason. That's okay. Hmm. We'll just... I will be the person in 50 years from now that they talk about. Yeah. <laughs> So that people can Google. So. Here is a little fact check segment for y'all. So the Cubs owner, Philip K. Wrigley, was the founder of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. The league started with four teams and ended with 15, and it lasted for 12 years. Lucille Colasito did only play for two years, 1944 and 1945, and Mona Denton played in 1946 and 1947. Both softball and baseball were removed from the 2012 and 2016 Olympics because Olympic officials felt they didn't have as much international popularity as other sports. But I'm happy to report that both softball and baseball We'll be back for the Tokyo Olympics, which were supposed to be this summer in 2020, but they were rescheduled for 2021 due to the pandemic. Thank you to Karen for sitting down with me for this episode, and thank you to my uncle Raul Garza Jr. for writing and performing the podcast theme song. I will link all other music in the show notes, as well as where I got all of my information from for this episode. Don't forget to tell all your friends about Chingona, like, rate, subscribe. All episodes are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. It is at Chinguana Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and I'll talk to y'all soon. Next time on Chingona. I just felt so conspicuously, like, queer and, like, of color, and it was weird because I hadn't experienced that really in Denver. Like, you feeling so other to um, see you, did it sort of lead to you kind of seeking out the queer and drag king culture in Boulder? If you're not around trans people a lot, you might make a lot of mistakes, right. you know? Um, and then, like, the same, totally the same thing with non-binary people. I think I never met one until college. And I was not familiar with using they as a singular pronoun. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like, really, like... I felt very forced every time I did it because I was like, I'm not used to this referring to one person. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I just did a lot because I met a lot of non people and I was like, this isn't weird. <laughs> yeah, like, like, language just changes. I'm like, mm-hmm. you get comfortable with whatever you use.